The following program features language some listeners may find offensive. Listener discretion is advised. But yeah, legacy. Actually, you know, thinking about a legacy is definitely with the teaching and, um, you know, we weren't even like teaching a lot of the time. It was just turning up with turntables and just like, um, just inspiring people, I guess. And, um, and then, you know, those people that we inspired, you know, inspired us as well, you know, so it's just like, uh, you know, a lot of the young, um, the young people at the time that we were doing workshops with, and I think I mentioned before, like ended up um, being people that we make music with and hang out with and stuff like that. And um, yeah, so maybe the legacy is like that in like the, you know, that sort of slightly younger generation. Listening to Hip Hop Cymru Wales, a podcast exploring the trails and untold tales of Welsh hip hop. My name is Luke Bailey and I'm a podcaster, best known for the Fly Fidelity podcast. And I'm talking to key players about the notable and nuanced evolution of Welsh hip hop history. Welcome to the program. This episode, an intimate conversation with trailblazing turntablist Monkey, now known as El Mono, DJ, producer, record maker, and former member of the legendary Optimus Prime. We dive into his incredible story and reflect on the enduring legacy of the late great Stagger. Enjoy the conversation. De La Soul was probably like the first hip hop album that I listened to when I was young. So, um, what year was that? Oh, like when it first came out, I think it was like '93. So, back then, you know, I was like, there were like a, a few like hip hop records that you know sort of passed me by, you know, that I kind of caught on to. And I listened to a lot, like that record. I really listened to a lot, but um, but then you know I was into like um, I was into like playing the guitar and stuff. So I was into like um, you know like Jimi Hendrix and like psychedelic kind of music, and um, you know like even like punk stuff and just loads of kind of weird stuff. Um, so I was into all kinds of different music, and. Um, and yeah hip hop came came a little bit later i suppose like like really getting into hip hop came a little bit later right um yeah so my memories just like djing and and like you know certain albums and i was just like really kind of blown away by like like how kind of progressive they are they were you know at the time um 
liquid swords you know stuff like that just hearing them and being like whoa you know this is like real yeah. sort of like out there kind of music um i'm trying to think of it like dj shadow um introducing like i'm probably going all over the place with like um you know chronologically but um yeah it was just things like that there was like a few like albums there were like compilations like i remember having this album which was um it was oh god what was it called it was from um like a club in it was like almost like um what was, the, what was the club in LA which Daedalus plays at? Low End Theory. Yeah, it was always like like a precursor to Low End Theory. Right. And um, it had like an executioner's track on there, like proper like turntablism. You know, it was like a oh, recording, okay. but it was like straight up just like them, you know, like no, like no post-production. Well, it was probably like you know recorded in a studio, but there was no sort of like beats. Everything was like scratched, and um, you know that was really sort of like um, you know just like interesting sonically, yeah. and um, and it had um, like Cat Chemist and Newmark track, which was all you know it was just really sort of it had like um, you know a few rap tunes. But like it was mostly kind of like instrumental or like scratch stuff. So yeah, I listened to that a lot. You know, like DJ Food kind of stuff and like DJ Crush. Um, you know, listening to to a lot of that kind of stuff. Like um Dr. Octagon, you know, it really rinsed that album a lot. And um yeah, so it was just like a lot of like discovering music, you know, it was like that time I was, you know, felt like I was pretty young and, you know, I'd, I'd sit down and listen to an album and I'd really like, you know, be in that album. Do you know what I mean? It, it wasn't like I just kind of like listening passively. It was just like, it was kind of like, you know, all consuming kind of, you know, really kind of like discovering new music. So it was quite exciting from that point of view and also you know I, I hadn't got into production or anything like that at that time so i had no idea how this sort of stuff was being made so um so i wasn't coming at it with that kind of critical ear right. either you know so you're wrapped up in the beginning in a lot of subversive stuff a lot of this music you're listening to is subverting hip-hop as we know it what was it about rap that caught your ear and how did how does that eventually progress to collecting records and DJing? Was it all at once or sort of a slow process for you? Yeah, well, the rap thing. So um, it's kind of weird because like I never, even with like any music, and this has kind of always been the way for me, um, I never really catch lyrics until much later. So when I listen to music, I'm just really listening to the the music like instrumentally and maybe like melodically you know it's always like really catch like a rapper's flow you know um first of all and i wouldn't really catch lyrics until much later you know so it's like ly lyrics have always been kind of like you know like very much kind of like secondary secondary right yeah but um but funnily enough like with mf doom mm. i'd always be on the lyrics straight away so him in particular, um, I would just really sort of like, it was always the lyrics, you know, I'd be in the story kind of thing. 
but um but there's not really many people that do do that for me so much um maybe these days um freddie gibbs you know nice. i really kind of catch his lyrics quite a lot but um but yeah it's just been it's always been the way with me like you know like i'm one of those people that um never knows the real lyrics to a song you know it'll always be like <laughs> something like you know kind of sounds like like it is but it's that's not the real lyrics so yeah. um yeah so uh that's what i'm like when I'm listening to music it's always the music and um and then yeah it's just collecting records and like i've got a really big record collection now but um a lot of music there is like stuff that i just want to get rid of so um before i moved to lisbon i was like on discogs a lot like selling loads of my records um because like when i started buying records you know just like go to catapult and like even hmv because they always had like a good hip-hop section and um you know a lot of the time i'll just buy whatever's there and um you know you go back through your record collection then and just realize like you know a lot of the stuff you've got is uh stuff that is like you know stuff that you'd want to kind of you never really sit down and listen to it so um so i spent a lot of time recently sort of recently um just kind of like streamlining my record collection so i can just go straight in there and um you know pull out something i want to listen to who would have been some of those touchstone influences that actually got you to want to dj and participate in hip-hop it definitely stagger was like you know my main kind of um you know like uh, i guess like mentor and in in you know it's like the person i was just watching him scratching and i was like yeah i want to do that kind of thing and then you know he was always really proactive and um you know just got me involved kind of thing right from the start you know he was like he knew i had turntables so he was just straight away like oh bring your turntables around to and you know we'll like set him up and you know start doing that so he's definitely stagger um and also you know just people like you know mates that like were introducing me to music um you know when we got more into like doing gigs and stuff we met jaffa and all those guys like cuz um you know they they were really like uh you know that's what it's like when it's i guess it's the same with like mcs like you meet a new mc or you know you know meet a new like um I don't know, just somebody who kind of inspires you. They've got a fresh angle on things, you know, they're not coming from where you're coming from and they've got like, you know, different skills and you want to learn those skills, you know. So um, so it's always inspiring. Um, I just guess I was watching loads of DMC stuff, um, checking out like the Scratch Pickles, watching Turntable TV, just geeks, like Scratch geeks, really. So anything Scratch related, you know, I was just all over that. So Stagger sort of holds your hand at the beginning and plays a big role within your introduction to scratching. Can you speak to any sort of eureka moments that changed the way you scratched and thought about scratching? Um, I don't know. It's such a long time ago. and um, But, you know, we just used to, like, practice, like, religiously back then. You know, just be like, I'd just spend most of my day just messing around, put a beat on, 
that I could just play like for probably like over an hour and just be scratching to it. But yeah, it's constantly eureka moments, really. I think we were like, um, you know, there was like, um, we had this thing that was kind of like, you know, you'd kind of like get stuck in a rut a little bit, just doing the same thing over and over again. And just felt like, oh, if that's like happens, then it means that, you know, there's like um, some kind of breakthroughs kind of imminent, you know, and um, that kind of felt like the way, you know, like it's kind of like get a new thing, get a new kind of like work out a new trick. You know, like you said, it's like skateboarding, but, but um, you know, I always likened it to skateboarding, but without the danger, you know, so that, that was kind of good. I couldn't, didn't have to risk like, you know, breaking my ankle or something like that. But um, but it's the same, you know. You're learning new tricks, and um, so you know you'd like, like the crab, you know, is like always like this elusive like technique, you know. It's like oh, you know they use all their fingers, and you know it's like they do this thing, and it's kind of like you know use all four fingers to, to like transform. Is like it seemed like you know like just miles away from you know being able to achieve it and then all of a sudden you can do it and then that comes part of your repertoire and then um and then there's like flares like there's you know a scratch technique called a flare and um you know we just heard of it but none of us really understood what it was and um and i think i was actually the first one to to do a flare out of all all of us lot. So um, and it just happened accidentally, you know, and uh, and it was like, oh right, that must be a flare. And uh, you know, so there's all the always these like little milestones, and um, and I guess they were like the you know little kind of techniques or tricks. And as soon as you've got it, it's um, you know, it's like it's um, just opens up a whole world of new kind of. Uh, techniques and and ways to scratch you know a lot so of that like, is trial and error isn't it yeah 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 exactly you know you just like messing around you know like you know you get it with all kind of like art forms you know happy accidents right and uh that's what you're always kind of looking for those like little things that you stumble across and it's almost like it got plucked out the ether you know it's like you didn't even do it it was like the universe yeah. kind of did it and you just kind of like you know, channeled it or something. What was it you learned being a student of Stago? Um, I don't know. I don't know if I was like a student. It was just like, he was just I say like, that with the most respect, of course. In terms of scratching, it was new to you back then. And I know you were watching Stagger in awe and admiration of what it was he was doing in the beginning, weren't you? Yeah, 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 totally. Um, I don't know. Um, yeah, like I guess, like um, he was my kind of mentor in that way when we were first kind of starting, because he had been doing it for a long time. So, um, yeah, I guess like all, all scratching, really. You know, it never really like occurred to me that you could do all these things on the turntables and beat juggling and stuff like that. So, um, so at the start, it was just everything, really. You know, transforming um you know like mixing acapellas over you know other beats you know like sort of that whole remixing thing right. i mean he had like cubase on an atari st back then so he was kind of like making beats and just that sound you know like um 
you know, like the sound that he was kind of into, you know. Yeah, I guess I just looked up to him and, um, you know, like uh, influence-wise, you know, anything that he was digging, I would kind of dig as well because I, you know, respected his kind of like um, his like taste and and ear and stuff. And it was like he knew what was good kind of thing. So, So, yeah, there was a lot of that, I guess. You're absorbing a lot of that inspiration. What, what are you using yeah, exactly. at that time? Absorbing a lot. That was exactly what was happening because he was like older than me as well. So, um, so he had all, you know, you know, had all this music and stuff. So literally I would just be absorbing everything. And it, it was just a case of that, you know. What was the age difference back then? Um, I think he's like five years older than me. But also there was Mike, his brother, and um, we were in a band together. And Mike was, um, you know, into, you know, similar music, but different music as well. So I was absorbing a lot from him, you know. I was, he was like well into like Pink Floyd and um, and like um, Can and, and bands like that. And in Black Sabbath, you know, I'd never nice. really... Yeah, Black Sabbath were like wicked, like really like psychedelic a lot of their music you know they were really kind of like um you know it was really quite trippy stuff which i didn't realize and that was what i was into you know anything with a kind of like spacey trippy kind of edge you know mm. just kind of lap that sort of stuff up and um yeah so mike as well he was like a big influence and that was the thing i would just it was it was mad actually because um you know um rob and mike you know they lived at their parents house you know we were all pretty young and um Mike and Rob's parents are just like the nicest people in the world. And they were so like, um, you know, open to like me and all their mates, you know, we'd all just hang out at the house all the time. You know, it's one of those houses that, you know, we we'd just let ourselves in, you know, and, uh, and Mike's mum would just like, you know, make us a cup of tea. And uh, it was just really like, you know, it just always felt, um, you know, really welcome and comfortable there. So, so we just like hang out at the house like all the time, really, and um, and yeah, we'd just be listening to music and uh, yeah, and uh, it was just a really nice atmosphere. Beautiful. What was it that you were using to turn this practice into potential back then? Um, what in what way? Of... Like, oh, like um, just turntables, really. Um, I like I I started off. I just had some really shit sound lab um yeah and i was trying to scratch on them so and they're like a really awful mixer which you know like you like when the crossfader just gets stuck and doesn't move so we just had to use the transformer um switches and um and then i started studying in the welsh college of music and drama um i started doing music tech there and uh, just used my student loan to get some techniques Can you remember your first time experimenting collectively as far as setting up your turntables in a row and putting together your first routine? Uh, a little bit. I can't quite remember. It's kind of like a mixture of like, you know, a few times and um, yeah, it's just like, I think it's all kind of like got kind of like blended yeah. into one kind of memory. But I do remember actually the first time we tried to do a routine, we did it just on one set of turntables huh. so it was like 
Rob was on the right deck and I was on the left deck and we were both using the same mixer. So we did a, started off doing a routine like that. So that then becomes this this starting place in terms of you leaning into this identity and developing your craft together. Did you guys already have a crew name at that time? Um, well, yeah, I think I mentioned we were called Spock. <laughs> um, Rob and Mike just like, I think they just like made a tape once uh, with Rob on the decks. And I can't really remember what Mike was doing, like maybe on like a keyboard. Um, we had like a few like analog keyboards, which, um, you know, I'm really gutted that they went missing because they were like, you know, I would love to have those right now. But um, yeah, Mike had like this Korg uh, monosynth. So I think he was probably playing that, you know, through some effects or something like that. And Rob was on, um, you know, just, I don't know what Rob was doing. I think just putting on, you know, like beats, like um, like DJ Tool records. So the beats are real, like stripped back and just scratching over the top. And they just did that one day, like made a tape and it, they called it the search for Spock. Um, you know, like the Star Trek film. And um, and then, you know, like went round that night or something, he played it to me. And um, and then the next time they did it, I, I got involved. And yeah, we were just kind of like messing around. Um, yeah, it was all kind of like, yeah, it had that kind of like trippy kind of edge to it, which we were, you know, just well into back then. Because, yeah, we were, like, listening to, like, you know, not only, like, rave stuff, but, like, sort of electronica and all that kind of stuff as well. So, um, so yeah, so there's a real mix of mix of things. So it was very much a genre cocktail for yourselves back then. Yeah, yeah. And that's the way it's always been um, with us, you know. Santi Brochi. myself rob and paul pr1 um all moved into a house in cavatha street and um and then so we just like set up all our decks together um you know in, in one of the bedrooms and um and we would just you know it was just like scratch house like we would just all like get up first thing in the morning and just get in like and start jamming uh you know, I was I was studying. Um, we kind of like had you know loosely employed kind of thing, just like working in kitchens and stuff like that. So we had a lot of time to kill. This is PR One Optimus Prime. In '97, '98, I was in Cardiff and started DJing. Um, started getting into scratching, playing out a couple of nights a week, and. I ended up at an after party after a, a gig by a band called Pink Pussy, who were like a glam rock band from Cardiff, and they were they were playing with a, a, another group called Dark Bazaar, who were like this kind of psycho psychedelic dub sort of outfit. Um, 
and I ended up at this party after after one of their gigs and got chatting to Mike from Dark Bazaar who was Rob Stagg's brother uh, got chatting about scratching DJing and he sort of pointed out that his brother and his mate Monkey were um, into scratching and turntablism and there really wasn't anyone sort of up to that sort of stuff in those days in Cardiff or it didn't really feel like there was uh, so yeah we, we ended up getting together and sort of got on really well started scratching together quite quickly and sort of having a few jam sessions and, and ended up moving in together sort of infamous house on Cathaba Street we were there for a little while um, trying to get as many gigs as we could really so we sort of scratching all the time uh, taking any opportunities to play out whenever we could I think the very the first gig that we had together as sort of Optimus Prime as it were was um, a night put on by a guy called Lincoln who was mates with Monkey um, Monkey was quite involved with a few of the people from college in Cardiff who had studied music so he knew this guy Lincoln who, who is now or was then high contrast um, so he put on this jungle night and we he let us have the first couple of hours and we, and we just kind of moved from our bedrooms all our decks and mixers and piled up in there and uh yeah kind of carried on scratching and practicing and we never really had any worked out routines but yeah we sort of had a lot of fun and I think a lot of people quite enjoyed the novelty of seeing six or seven decks all set up and lots of people scratching at the same time um and yeah that's how we all got together and, and Stagger was a bit of a sort of good influence on us because he was a little bit ahead of us with scratching and mixing uh scratching was amazing and yeah me and Monkey kind of learn from him and learn from each other and yeah it was good years I actually got us our first gig because um, I just got asked to DJ at my mate's thing who it was actually Lincoln high contrast because me and Lincoln went to um, Glen Haveron together and studied media studies and um lincoln had started putting on like a, a sort of like you know a night downstairs in this australian bar in town i can't remember what it was called um you know it's long gone now it was um i think it's like a burger king or something now but it was like downstairs in there and um do you know like um gareth i can't remember his surname but do you, do you know like the, the neuropol dubstep night called neuropol I can't see I do. So that was like where like at the dubstep in Cardiff. That was like the first dubstep night in Cardiff. So I'm going way off tangent now. But originally, before it was that, Lincoln and Gareth, I can't remember his surname, his DJ name's Truth, um ran and ran Neuropol downstairs in this Australian bar and they got me to DJ there and um it was like the first time I'd ever DJ'd out. And um, and I played there one week, and then they asked me to do it again the next week, and um, and I just said, you know, well, why don't we all go down with all our decks and just, you know, you like just uh, jam. It was always like a lot of the time it'd just be a jam. We'd never have anything kind of planned, and uh, and that was the first gigs. And then like people, we just started getting booked for things. We didn't really like plan to, you know, or like actively look for gigs. It just kind of like happened kind of quite sort of um organically you know, 
yeah organically it just kind of like you know it just started happening we were just like getting getting booked to play places and it was always like you know just really like rough and ready and like a bit sketchy well very sketchy a lot of the time you know if i look back on it it's like i can't believe we used to do that and get away with it when you say sketchy can you talk about that what was it you used to do and get away with are no, we talking about like, bum rushing sets? Is, are we in that era? As well, we had done that a couple we of times. We had done that prior? Well, that was actually how we met, because he, he, well, the, yeah, he was playing in the Welsh club, and it was me and Paul, PR1, just went to the, the gig. Um, it was like um, Headcase Lads. And um, so it was like Nobstinate, Slice, and Cuz. And... Um, and we were just watching it and watching because, you know, we'd never met these guys before. And, uh, you know, we were like, oh, man, that guy's sick on the decks. And um, and then, you know, it was like open mic bit. So they were like, oh, does anyone want to come up and get on the mic? And um, and we were just like, no, we'll get on the decks, though. <laughs> and, uh, and they were like really like taken back by that. It's like, uh, yeah, I don't know if that's, is that like the done thing? But, um, yeah, we did it. And... Uh, yeah, and that was that. And then, yeah, I think we just used to like. It was not so much that we would bum rush the decks, um, but we would just like, if we'd be booked to play somewhere, we'd just take everything apart. You know, like Soundman. You know, it was like Soundman's nightmare. We'd just like, you know, while the other DJs playing, we'd just be like unplugging the decks and plugging our own stuff in. You know, pretty sort of. Uh, yeah obnoxious really but um we were yeah. talking about this the other day and you had said that half the crowd loved it the other half didn't yeah well i, I guess i don't know if that was like the actual you know, did it feel that of, way kind of it was funny like something you know we did, didn't really care and it was just like you know it was like that punk attitude i think yeah. we had a bit of that going on and um it was just funny you know like i remember this one time well this happens a lot like you know we'd be like uh Rob was doing like a beat juggle and this is one time that kind of sticks in my mind staggers like beat juggling he's doing this wicked beat juggle you know and you know like beat juggling is kind of like stop starty so yeah. you'd be hearing it and then there'd be a like little pause and so he's beat juggling and it was just wicked he was just like fucking killing it and uh and just in the pause you just heard somebody from the crowd just shout out just play the fucking record <laughs> <laughs> dick Hi, this is DJ Kez. Okay, so Optimus Prime were a, a three-piece turntable crew um, on the Cardiff hip-hop scene uh, during the mid-90s. Um, and I played a lot of shows, same same nights. Uh, very, very talented bunch of guys. Very cool uh, bunch of guys. Always sound, always great when you knew they were on the, the same bill uh, uh, as myself. Um, and yeah, these three guys, they were just rocker. And um, yeah, they, they they were just they were just scratch. It was it, it, I mean it was, it was great. There was there was no player just playing records. I mean they were there to do the full on turntable turntableism um, experience. I remember Paul was always uh, on the drums. And it was, yeah, razor sharp is his drum drum cutting technique. Um, you'd have a monkey uh, cutting up um, a, a rhythm section. And then you'd have um, Rob Stagg, R.I.P. Rob uh, Stagg, a very, very talented 
turntablist and Rob would be cutting up the leads and uh, they'd have these you know these routines they'd gone for they'd go on for hours um, and, and quite often they you know they said you know cuz jump up man and I'd get up one of them would step off for a second I'd have a, a little scratch with the guys and um, yeah yeah very fond memories of, uh, of watching and listening to, to Optimus Prime um, yeah talented bunch and uh, uh, an integral part of, uh, of the Welsh music scene in general one time which was really funny at one of these nights and this was one of the times we like got like a routine down like we really kind of, like a couple of times we had sort of like work on really sort of tight routines eventually actually you know it became more like that we would have like sets that we would play and they were like real tight kind of turntablist routines and stuff and um so this one time like when the first times we did that and we so it was like a band you know like we were very much like a band playing our set and um you know we were on stage and you know what it's like with djing it's like you know you've got to change the record you know really like on point you've got a certain amount of time to find the next sample and you've got to drop it at the right time mm. so everything is like you know critical that you're like on it and you know doing you know changing when you're supposed to and we were just in the middle of a set and this guy just gets up on stage and starts like talking to rob and just starts like chatting in his ear about like you know what we're doing and stuff and and rob's just like yeah that, yeah mate I, I, i'm in the middle of a set you know we're trying to like play a set you know we're like a band and the guy's like oh right yeah well you know it'd be really good if you know one of you just like played a record right now i mean it's really good what you're doing but if you just played like a really big tune that everyone knows right now the crowd would just love it and rob's just there trying to explain to this guy while he's trying to like you know scratch a drum beat or something which is like challenging in itself that we're not actually djs that play music like that we're actually like a band trying to like you know make our own music and uh yeah this guy just didn't get it and it was just funny that he got up on stage to talk to us while we were in the middle of our set you know if you imagine like somebody doing that in like to like a rock band or something you yeah. know people would just be like what the fuck's this guy doing Talk about how you're learning. Um, yeah, how you're learning is just wicked. I, I can't remember like how regular it was. I think maybe it was like every two weeks. I'm sure it was like m more often than once a month. And, um, you know, we just play there a lot. It was like a really good, um, you know, just outlet for, for the scene and, you know, like kind of hub where, it, you know, everyone kind of like, yeah just kind of like developed and it was just like a focal point really um and also like amazing like um the the acts that they get to headline you know so they always had like big acts headlining i remember like arrested development um and even though i wasn't like you know mad fan of their music they played like a legendary set like and um i think they like left the club in their set you know in the middle of the set and everyone kind of like followed and you know like went on the street carried on like you know like rapping and stuff and then came back in the club it was something, wow. something mad like that happened um and uh yeah i think it was like lots of yeah i can't really 
remember offhand all the different acts, but there were some wicked people that played. And then we used to do like DJing for the open mic. So there was always like that open mic bit. And, um, you know, that was really good for, um, you know, all the developing MCs and uh, just giving people like a spot to, um, yeah, just to, to develop and like grow as like musicians and and vocalists and rappers and stuff like that. It was a shared growth back then, wasn't it? We're talking about a time that encapsulated so much enthusiasm, love and respect for what everybody was doing creatively. Do you have a favourite jam session from that period? Um, well, actually, like we started doing this thing called Freestyle Fridays and that was like at my, um, my parents' house, like when I was living there, like I had like, you know, I had my bedroom, but I had like a little studio, like in, you know, uh, like when the spare rooms I just turned into my studio and um and we just it just like started happening like we'd like on Fridays we'd just like invite some MCs around and um and we'd just record a live jam session that was all freestyle so all the rapping was freestyle and um you know it was like um Hummerak and um Rough Styles and Junior Disbrawl and you know that's how we sort of met all those guys. I mean, we've met them before, but that's how we kind of like started, you know, working with them and you know all kind of like hanging out. So um, and we just record it. That was like the kind of focus always was just to record what we were doing. So um, yeah, so all these things are yeah they should be recorded somewhere. I think like somewhere like in like Rob's stuff. Um, I think, I guess, like his parents or maybe Nina's got it or something like that. But yeah, I think that, you know, all that stuff should be like archived somewhere. Do you remember if any of those tapes manifested into their own projects in terms of ideas and demos in the future? Well, I don't know, like on like our first like final release, which was like a weird, like little turntable-ish kind of um you know, little turntablist album. We had a couple of freestyles on there and that, you know, that was all kind of like inspired by Freestyle Friday. So we were very much into the whole idea of freestyles, you know, like properly just straight off the top of the head kind of thing, especially with rapping. And uh, yeah, so on that that record, there's there's a junior disbrawl track, which is all freestyled. And there's a Rough Styles track, which is all freestyled. Amazing. Going back, because this, of course, is later on this album you're talking about, but going back in terms of freestyle versus what was planned, can you talk about this evolution with the group, which kind of changes after these or during these jam sessions you're talking about? You start incorporating a flute, trumpet, percussion, and keyboard in your shows. How does that come about? What's the evolution of that? Um, I don't know. Like, I think, well, because there was like always this kind of focus with like turntablism and battling. So, you know, all the stuff that which we would catch on like videos and stuff like that was all battle stuff. And we were never really into that kind of like competitive kind of side of things. I think like for me personally, I didn't like the idea of like getting up on stage and, um, 
and like you know doing a routine that's like supposed to be like you know showcasing all my you know it, it just made me nervous even to think about it you know to battle somebody i didn't like the idea of like you know just performing in that kind of like with all that kind of focus just on myself you know um so you know i've always been like kind of introverted in that way so that whole battle thing just didn't like sit with me particularly well and uh so that's why it was always more like you know making music and doing you know doing stuff for like music's sake rather than like like out doing somebody's sake kind of thing so um so you know adding like flute and keyboards and stuff like that just seemed to kind of like make sense and uh you know for me personally maybe it felt like it took the focus off me a little bit as well right. so i kind of liked that and then we had all these other people doing stuff and uh yeah i guess i think rob probably felt the same um and uh and you know ben and uh paul you know even back then when we were doing more stuff with them because by that point um i think ben and paul had moved to bristol and um you know it's just harder for us to like link up and do stuff so we'd still do gigs together but um but all like the practicing and working out you know musically working things out would be done you know me rob and, and mike rob's brother so he was playing the fl flute and playing the keyboards and then we just introduced yeah like um oh what was his name itchy fingers <laughs> this uh -huh. uh, producer called itchy fingers who was right. pete and he played the trumpet so he got involved playing like the trumpet and stuff and um yeah it was really cool it was really like you know um yeah kind of quite progressive i guess and like you know kind of like ahead of its time i suppose thinking about it now it really it was, was just like adding all this yeah like mad sort of like analog synthy stuff and you know or like you know and mike on the flute you know he'd never like really been taught to play the flute he just kind of like started playing it and um and so he just like improved as we were like you know working stuff out and working on routines and and sets yeah i guess it was you know sets of songs and stuff like that so yeah we just kind of like developed it like that and then um and then we started yeah like um playing in greece a lot so you know they really liked that in greece and um so we, we just carried on and just kept doing it so it was like half turntablist half instrumentalist vibes yeah just exactly that really yeah just doing like you know the same things we do with you know like a turntable routine but just like adding you know flute and, and keyboards and like rob had this mad effects machine like this like kind of shitty zoom effects machine which used to plug the input into the output so it would feed back on itself and it would just make this like mad spacey kind of like pitch shifting delay kind of sound and uh so he would do that so sometimes it would just be like me on the turntable scratching and the rest would be you know live kind of music and then sometimes it would just be me and rob just doing scratch stuff so so it was quite you know it's always kind of like very hi uh my name's dj parker aka pete aka neuropole i'm from bristol but i spent 
good four years of my life immersed in the Cardiff hip hop scene when I was at university. Um, my uh, my memories of Optimus Prime mainly centered around the thought of like, oh shit, they're fucking brilliant. They're so much better than me. Um, and how much seeing them kind of made me realize how much work I needed to do um, because they were... Even in the early days, like I'm talking, I don't know how long they were going when I arrived, but late 90s, they were all already well above everyone else in terms of their scratching ability. They were, for me, they were going along the lines of like Cuba and the Invisible Scratch Pickles because they, they were on that alien tip where it was like, I don't understand. I don't understand their rhythm. It was like not basic in any way. They were doing things that were strange but sounded amazing. Um, and both Stagger and Monkey were a big inspiration for me, um, as well as just being massively intimidating. They were lovely people. And like like is the case with most of these things, they had this incredible ability and you expected them to have an ego with it. And they just were really quiet, quite shy and retiring type people that had no ego whatsoever. Um, and that's another, that's another inspiration. That's good. Good to have people like that around you. But um, I definitely, I wouldn't say I battled them because I wouldn't be that stupid to battle them, but I definitely scratched alongside them. Uh, there was scratch showcases at the Toucan where we all took turns scratching. And it was just, I guess for me, it was embarrassing because I just, you know, I do my thing. And then they would do their thing. And I just think, wow, like you've just shot over everybody. You're amazing. What what was really nice later in life, for me anyway, is that when I ended up making tunes and touring, um, well, this this story specifically, I was touring Canada. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd lost touch with Cardiff for years and years and lost touch with all of those guys. But well, I was touring Canada and I turned up in Calgary and you arrive at the club and you look at the flyers like who's before who's who's been in the week before me or after me or whatever like who's on the circuit and i saw uh stagger's name and i was like jesus man that's so cool like we were like kids scratching in toucan like like 98 and this was like fast forward to 2010 and we're on this circuit doing our thing he was doing dubstep then i think and I was doing something similar. So it was just a beautiful thing. It was, um, you know, you're all the way miles away from home, but you get that reminder of, of, of your past, which was a beautiful thing. Where did your curatorial practice as a turntablist start and end personally between the rest of the crew? And what do you think you did bring specifically to the tables? What did I bring? I don't know. Maybe I had that, like, you know, kind of... Um you know, kind of like motivation to to plan stuff. So maybe I, I brought that a bit more, just like, you know, I want to make music. I want to have like songs and stuff that we can go back and be like, we're going to play this one and we're going to play this one, rather than it always just be like turn up and just kind of like make it up on the spot. So I think, yeah, maybe I brought that to it a bit more, just that kind of musical kind of um yeah, just musical kind of structure. structure. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. You mentioned Greece. What can you tell me about 
being out in Greece and doing shows and routines out there. Yeah, it's wicked. They were like, um, we we kind of got on board with this group over there that um, were signed to Warner Brothers at the time. So they were like, really like had a lot of, you know, financial backing. They had like lots going on. They had like big shows all the time and uh, they could afford to just fly us out. Like, so I think over like, you know, like a year and a half or maybe like two years, we were, you know, going back and forth to, to Greece, like, you know, all the time, like every couple of months or even more often, you know, and, um, and yeah, and it was just like, they had like a, like massive following over there. So we were doing like really sort of big gigs, um, always really sort of well-organized and uh, and they were just like serious like they were like proper like we were never like had that kind of you know uh just kind of um you know never worked with people that were so sort of on it you know they they really sort of know, knew what they were doing and right. had like a kind of uh focus and, and stuff like that and then just met loads of people out there you know because they were like a, a group that had loads of different groups under their wing so we were like you know met all like their kind of like you know acts that were all kind of coming up as well and um and they had their own sounds as well you know they really had like a, a style that was kind of like really sort of like sort of grounded in boom bap but had this kind of like greek kind of depth to it you know it was like that kind of uh almost like kind of morose kind of mm. folky guitar sound that was kind of like all kind of like mixed with like you know really sort of like well produced boom bap kind of hip-hop so it was right up your alley yeah, like not always, it wasn't always like the stuff that I would, you know, really kind of dig. But often, sometimes, you know, there'd be certain things that were like really good. It was like really mm. well put together music. But it was like they did, really didn't know about like, um, you know, ravey kind of stuff. And I think at the time I was just getting into like two-step and garage and stuff like that. So I remember playing some of that stuff out there before. And, uh, you know, that took a lot of people by surprise. You end up traveling again after that through Community Music Wales and going to Cuba in Italy. Yeah, I can't remember if that was like before the Greece thing. I think that was I think that was actually around about the same time. But I think we actually went to Cuba before we went to Greece. And then um, we went to Cuba twice. And that was just me and Rob. And that was more teaching through Community Music Wales um, rather than being like... Um, you know, like to do, to, to play a show, but we did play shows out there as well. Thinking back on it, you know, I was pretty young at the time. So it was just mad being in Cuba in this, like, you know, it was really like just so different to the UK, especially then. And, uh, and so I was just like quite sort of like overwhelmed by the experience and just kind of like, uh, you know, just being a kid and just like getting wrecked and just, yeah. And it's a, like a really weird place because um, obviously there's like no advertising or anything there. So, you know, you don't really know what, like everything that was planned didn't go ahead 
the way it was supposed to like you know we were supposed to play one place but we ended up playing somewhere completely different and uh you know nothing went according to plan but that it was, was like part of like the way things were over there you That's know, a just ended curve. Up, yeah it just ended up this one like like in this like like party somewhere and uh and then somebody's like oh yeah it's like erica badu's playing in a bit wow we like what <laughs> yeah it was mad and uh yeah it was just really interesting it, like mad experience going back but going forward you talked about void fill earlier which yeah. ends up of course becoming your first full length what was the motivation behind that project specifically this happens after cuba is that right um i can't remember actually but the motivation was that me and rob had done a little like cd before that and um and that was just like literally like i don't know like i think rob turned up in my house one day and was just like yeah right let's just make something let's just like make you know an album and we're going to start it now and we just started doing it and then just did it and uh, it was like a little cd that we put together and it was called the dynamic duo or something like that and uh somebody must have it somewhere hopefully like captain will get hold of it for the um because it was cool it was like uh you know it was just like a precursor to voidville basically and we were like working you know as i mentioned we were working for community music wales and they had a um label that they were starting so they i think we just like you know gave it to like the boss there he heard it and was like oh you know we want you to do another one of those and we're going to put it on record so that was the motivation the, you know we just got asked to do it by uh community music wales dope. Dope. so the album grows organically out of that situation and from that situation you end up launching dial-up records in 2004 was there a catalyst or person who pushed you to launch dial up as this hub to release beats and work with a lot of localized and uk talent back then um yeah i think rob he was just like rob's idea he was always like the um he was the mastermind he was the mastermind yeah he was just like the person who would just come up with an idea and be like let's do it you know and i'd always be like you know oh shit i got loads of stuff on (laughs) it would just be like (laughs) that but um but yeah we'd just do it and um yeah. you know it was, you know it was always worth doing you know and uh yeah it was just good he was just the motivator i think and of course it starts with piramoya anthem um, yeah piramoya and that was like a group that we met in um in greece so um the the greeks um bd foxmore and yolanda they were like the main dudes you know heading all all the the greek stuff and so they would like they had a few people that they were kind of like linked with so um and one of them was this guy winston irie who is general levy's brother do you know really yeah his like his brother and um and so he would like play over there as well so we like you know we'd go over there at the same time so um we all got pretty friendly and his like nephew mm. had a like was rapping with like a bunch of other mates of his and uh like 
Fox Morris heard, uh, you know, heard a tape of theirs and got those guys over. And so before that, they weren't even Piramoya. Um, I think Foxmore gave him that name, and it's like Pira is like Greek for fire, and Moya. I can't remember what Moya is, but it was like you know fire strength or something. Mm. So it was like combination of these words. So um, so so we met them in Greece, and um, then they came, you know, like came to Cardiff. Like they were all from. I don't know where they were from, like Hackney or something like that. Was it Brixton? Oh, Brixton. Yes, they were from Brixton. Well done. Yeah. Well, can you tell me about Revenge of the Tramps, which was the B-side with Junior Disbrow? Um, yeah, well, we were just um, doing, um, I think we were doing stuff with Junior Disbrow at that point. Yeah. And the, Rob knew um, Matt from college. They went to college together. So um, you know, they knew each other from way back. And um and then we linked up when we were doing like the Freestyle Fridays. So um right. so that's how we started working with uh Junior Disbrol. I always call him F because that's what Rob knew him as and that's the name he used to go by before Junior Disbrol. HSG was the prototype back then for what Squid Ninjas would later become. Yes. What are your strongest memories from the concepts for tech CP sessions. Um, I can't remember. Like, I think my strongest memory was just like I had like a really kind of like shitty studio. Um, at my mate's house, I was living at my mate's house. He had like a um, like a coach house on um, you know, converted old coach house on um. You know, when the streets just like coming off like Wellfield Road or something. Right. And uh, so like I had like this really like, you know, like half built bedroom with like a empty room in the back. So I just kind of like set up a studio and uh, and, you know, like back then I didn't know like anything about recording or like, you know, how to record or like what mics to use. You know, everything was just super rough and ready. And uh, yeah, just like just being in this like really kind of uh, unprofessional kind of studio with um, Heckler and uh, and uh, Scammer and all that lot. I can't even remember what their names were at the time. I don't know if they, that was like their MC names and Che as well. So Che Meta Beats, um, and they just come around and. Uh, and recorded and we met them actually because we were doing lots of workshops in barry and uh and they just turned up at the workshop one time and i think i'd met che like you know quite a few years before that as well like a jam in barry so uh yeah so we just met him like that was that area 41 no it was kind of before oh i don't know actually maybe it was area 41 but it wasn't in area 41 right it was like um in one of the parks, like Gibby Park or, you know, Gibbonstown or maybe what, like we, like this would happen a lot with me and Rob. We would like get like booked to just turn up in a park with turntables and uh, try and encourage people, you know, try and encourage like the kids that were like, you know, maybe like causing some kind of mischief in the area to just get on the decks and, uh, 
you know some kind of like positive focus for their energy or something like that so that would happen a lot and we would just at one of those packs one day and um and i think heckler turned up and then i think he phoned uh che i can't remember but those you know we met a bunch of them that, there and then just started doing stuff with them My name's uh, Junior Disbrow from Dead Residence and Fleep It, uh, and currently doing the old solo thing. Yeah, this is Joe Blow from Squid Ninja, Veteran Records and Decorative Veterans. So we're talking about um, Nuff Deep and Apocalyptic, two tracks we were both involved with. Back in the old HSG days of Squid Ninja, I'll go for Nuff Deep, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about I remember we started doing that, that was... Um, Stag had this beat and uh, we were over there, you know, over his place in uh, Grangetown, like working on that. And uh, he, he pulled that beat out. He always had like, you know, a beat folder on the go. And um, yeah, really liked it. It was like, um, it was, I, 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 don't, I can't remember what the BPM of it was, but it was like, you know, you go double time on it or whatever. Like, you know, it was, yeah, it was, it was just, you know, something different for me anyway, at least anyway. And, um, I remember, yeah. So that that was originally going to be a Dead Resident track, I think, and uh, and then I think I, I put my verse down on it, and um, I think I went away on holiday. But by, by the time I came back, I think uh, it was you know Scammer jumped on as well, and it was I think it was it was go, it was going on the HSG EP then. Did you, did you lay your verse down first? I'm sure you did, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your verse is already on it because I'm sure yeah. I can remember Stag playing me the beat, man, and I was like, "What the fuck is this, man?" <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, I'd be talking to him because I think that was one of the first tracks me and you made, didn't it? Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I remember saying, "Oh, I, I, I need to get on on a track with Junior Dispro, man, make it happen." And he was like, "Yeah, well, he's on the label." And I was like, "Yes, <laughs> let's yeah, let's yeah. do it, man." Do you know what I mean? I'm sure we I'm sure we did apocalyptic before that, man. Was but it? Yeah, I'm do, sure, yeah. man. I, but I remember we actually, did a bunch you're probably right. You are probably right because I'm sure we recorded apocalyptic in in a different venue, wasn't it? In a different place. Yeah, um, I think it was monkeys. Actually, we I think we might have recorded it at monkeys. Yeah, I think it was, man. I think it yeah, was. It's all a blur, in a week Because there was always, and you know, if you're playing one beat and somebody's on, you go, "Ah, oh, is there room for me on that?" Like, you know, it was those days. Yeah, of course. Yeah, man. All that. So yeah, that was that was a good one. Now. So yeah, what what do you remember that, about that? Did you, re you um, about enough deep? Were you recording? Uh, did you record it down Grangetown or did you record it in uh, Barry? I'm sure I was in Grangetown, wasn't it? Definitely, yeah. man. Yeah, I'm sure I went, went. I think I definitely went with Scammer. Both of us went together and put our verses down together, I think, like, because I was telling him about the beat. I was like, yo, you got to check this beat out, man. So he, he passed he passed me a CD, like, you know, and he had loads of what, what beats he was currently making. And I, I wanted them all, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? it, that was always the way, man, you know, yeah, there's tons of it like that. <laughs> and it could have been any, any time, you know, if you'd gone down there, was whoever's getting down there first for a session, you know. His, first his come. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Good old man. days, all that. Yeah, and then, um, so what do you remember about Apocalypse again? Um, I remember Fordy, man, right when he was writing his verse <laughs> and he was coming out with that Walla Hala Baloo. 
and all yeah. that stuff. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, and I was just loving the vibe. He, he vibed yeah. me up for that track. You know? Yeah, he, he got a wicked verse on that as well. Like, you know. Yeah, I mean, he coming to good. Yeah, that's one of my favourite tracks from that era as well, definitely. Yeah, you know, 100%, the three of us on there. The beat. I remember. I remember Stag played me that beat. And I remember it, it was Down Monkeys that, that, that we were recording then, like, um, for that one. So I remember that, yeah, it was just, uh, I think, like I say, yeah, like I think that was the first one. I think we'd, um, the first one we recorded, definitely together. Yeah, I, I can remember around about that sort of time, I was, like, looking to get something released, like, you know, I think we'd just done Shell Shock, so, like, I was pretty new to Dialect, like, you know, and the actual, actually putting, putting things out, like, that was pretty much the start of, like, actually releasing anything was through stag like a monkey you know i hadn't put anything out before that like you know officially on wax or or anything like that you know so like i that was a, a new thing for me like i was a new experience and like the start of it really for like you know going from like being a bedroom mc to actually having something tangible in your hand you're actually putting out like you know When you look back on that era, do you have a favorite collaboration? Um, yeah, maybe Knobs the Nuts. I I made a tune with Knobs the Nuts, and um, and I just thought I just like really liked him, and uh, I loved his like uh, you know, just like the, the hip hopness about him. So I just really liked that, and we made a tune. I don't know what happened to it, but it, like I sampled Kraftwerk, like a proper like fast electro craftwork tune and oh. um and he like wrote a rap all about venus and that, that was just right up my street and amazing uh, yeah i mean i don't know if that was like my favorite but that definitely sticks in my mind speaking of standout originals what was it like sharing a living and creative space with rough stars on black tricks around that time <laughs> yeah mad uh I ended up living with Rough Stars for a long time and it was just really interesting. Like he's really like amazing, unique person. And uh, so like inspirationally wise, it was really good. And uh, you know, like Black Black Tricks as well, you know, he had always like a real keen ear for good hip hop and stuff like that. And so, you know, he put me on to like a lot of good music. Um, and Rough Styles as well, obviously, like Rough Styles has just been like on it hip hop wise for like, you know, forever. So he's just had loads of wicked music. And um, and he's then also we, you a know, DJ himself. Yeah, he's a wicked DJ, like really good. And just like, um, yeah. you know, just not sort of like, uh, not sort of stuck in any kind of like genre or anything like that. You know, you just like play all kind, you know, I know he's like, it's like we always like used to take the piss bit. He was like, you know, mad into Justin Timberlake and <laughs> and Janet Jackson and shit like that. But um, but yeah, it was just always interesting and you know it's funny because it's like sometimes you think, you know, certain key moments when you'd like get kind of exposed to a song or like an artist or something, and you know if that hadn't happened, how would that have like changed your life, you know? And, uh, you know, I'm sure like some of like, you know, living with those two was de definitely something that like, you know, just like got me into different things and got me thinking about music in a different way. What do you think is the legacy of that era and what you guys were doing to preserve the culture? Well, there were definitely a lot of um, 
Optimus Prime tags around Cardiff that um, it was lasted for a long time, which people <laughs> you know like always used to mention and stuff. Um, Those stickers as well. Let's not forget the stickers. Yeah, the stickers. Yeah. They travelled. Yeah, exactly. And we got into a lot of trouble <laughs> for a lot of that because a lot of that we, we were doing workshops, you know, with kids in like sure. Canton and stuff, and we just gave them like a roll of. It was just tape. It was like a roll of Optimus Prime cellar tape that we got made, and uh, and then the next day we were just like driving through town, and it was just stuck up everywhere. So it wasn't even us. In fact, none of the like tags or anything were actually us. Like the first load of tags were from like this um, lecturer friend of ours. He was like a lecturer in um, Cardiff Uni, and he was just like a mad fan of ours. And uh, one night he just took it upon himself to go out and, you know, it was like when Banksy was like first about and he just found out about like stenciling. So he just went out and like stenciled like everywhere in Cardiff. It was just happened a couple of times. We just like all of a sudden there was just like our name like plastered everywhere. And, uh, some, you know, it was just like, you know, totally out of our control, but like really good at the same time you know it's like you can't like pay for that kind of shit but yeah legacy actually you know thinking about a legacy is definitely with the teaching and mm. um you know we weren't even like teaching a lot of the time it was just turning up with turntables and just like um just inspiring people i guess and um and then you know those people that we inspired you know inspired us as well you know so it's just like a you know, a lot of the young, um, the young people at the time that we were doing workshops with, and I think I mentioned before, like ended up um, being people that we make music with, and hang out with, and stuff like that. And um, yeah, so maybe the legacy is like that in like the, you know, that sort of slightly younger generation. So this is Daedalus from Los Angeles, California. And thinking about the way that the music was, was set off, the way it was presented, the way it reached me, um, there's something about beat makers who are proud of their creations. And when they're sharing them with you, there is a certain sly smile about like, oh, I'm gonna get you with this one kind of thing. And uh, Optimus Prime as a, as a unit, as an idea, um, specifically Monkey, I think in this case, was, uh, underspoken, but there was an enthusiasm with the delivery. Right? It was kind of like a monumental swing. And when it connected, when the bass dropped, it was kind of would sh shake you a bit. And it was easy to catch, catch the vibe, basically. It was easy to kind of get on board what they were doing because of the way that they would, would hand it to you so easily. Thinking about Staga in that regard uh, would make music that I think other people would would listen to and be like, this is undejable. This slithers around too much. It kind of slides and slacks in weird ways. But of course, the the underlying beat of it, the kind of way it, it pulsed, if you have just even the, the teeny bit of knowledge, it, it's uh, really easy, actually, because it's just a really low fundamental to all of it. And uh, there was a lot of grime going on in my ears at that time. And, and this was like a breath of fresh air in, in opposition because as much as they had their their hyphy moments, their like high energy bits, um, there was something about it that was very blunted, very smoked out, and it made all the sense with LA. 
and uh, I loved it. And I couldn't help but want to share that same enthusiasm and energy as it was handed to me. I, I only rocked, I think, with Monkey a handful of times on stages. So it made a big difference in my interpretation of the sound, of how the location had such a play in it. It wasn't just their own like kind of wildness, but it was also, yeah, there's something really special about seeing a DJ, um, seeing the beat maker as DJ, as purveyor of their sound space. I definitely understood better being in that presence. I was always like, I, I found it a real pain recording MCs, you know, I never really kind of like enjoyed the process. I mean, obviously at times it was like good fun and like hanging out with people and stuff, but I just found it kind of like stressful, you know, like um, recording like loads and loads of takes and like trying to listen back and think which is the best one. And, um, you know, a lot of the time, you know, MCs, I found them kind of like quite fickle and stuff like that like we what kind of music you know what kind of beats they liked and um mm. you know i really liked it if i like i think with rough styles like sometimes he would just like record something one take and it would just be bam yeah that's fine and then uh like do his backups and then it's bam it's, it's done but you know other mcs it would just be like you know i'm just gonna say that line and then drop me in by there and then I'll stop and then like drop me in by there and then I'm going to do all my backups and then you'd have like, you know, like six, seven, you know, 10 tracks backups. And, uh, and yeah, it was just like a process that I found kind of tedious a lot of the time. So getting into just production and just making instrumental music, um, was like real kind of like liberating for me. So it's kind of a response to those challenges you're talking about. Was there any challenges in the beginning navigating this new sound you're exploring? Um, yeah, just like a, just trying to kind of get an idea out of my head onto, you know, onto the computer and not really knowing much about like, you know, production techniques and synthesis and, you know, like, like now you know it's like i know how to like you know like compress things and you know like gain staging and like you know just little things like that which i never knew anything about back then and it was all just kind of like um just kind of like intuition and sometimes it worked and sometimes it wouldn't work but um but yeah it's just kind of like finding your feet really but it's still like that you know i, I feel like it, it's always kind of going to be like that what were you using as far as tech back then? Well, so originally I was just using Cubase and sometimes Reason. And then I got into using Reason more. And but it was I would like use Reason like um through Cubase. I can't remember what the like little kind of like program was that linked the two. But um but yeah, so you could open Reason and like use it through Cubase. So that's what I used to use. Got it. And of course, as you're doing this, you're experimenting more and your music starts to evolve and mutate. You're now producing under a new name, El Mono. Yeah, that came a bit later when I, well, I think 
I, I don't know, I think like 2010, 2011, something like that, um, when I kind of stopped making, you know, dubstep kind of, um, you know, kind of like, um, you know, had its kind of course where it was kind of like good. And then it kind of like started going kind of like, you know, that real sort of like generic dubstep sound. Right. Just got kind of like really kind of like saturated. And um, and then I just started making, you know, like stuff which was more like kind of like techy, kind of like electro, maybe like techno-y kind of, you know, even like housey sometimes. And, uh, and just got into like, you know, all that other kind of music um that you know dubstep kind of like split into like you know two categories and it just went off like on a more kind of like uh post dubstep kind of sounds i think they started calling it like post dubstep or whatever so i kind of got more into that and then so my sound and also actually there was another artist called monkey about and uh, I just thought, oh, it's like a good time just to change my name. So I just changed to El Monu, which means monkey in Spanish. <laughs> this notion of you as sort of a iconoclast, this sense of, you know, always striking out sort of attacking new concepts and, as we say, pushing the edges of the envelope, where does that come from? Um, yeah, I guess, like, just kind of like my kind of upbringing on the music that I would listen to so I was always just into like experimental stuff like when I was listening to like you know like sort of old 60s you know psychedelic rock and stuff like that I just like those songs which were like you know like 10 minutes long or like you know those weird sort of uh, spaced out songs you know I was never really kind of like into the kind of songy kind of first chorusy stuff I like the ones that went off on weird tangents. So um so I just felt felt like I always wanted to make that kind of music. And then I never really felt that I wanted to make stuff that was gonna be kind of, you know, uh like uh, big in a commercial sense, you know. I kind of never really felt that. What was it about that period to work for you as a fan creating as El Mano? What was it that was inspiring you back then about the Welsh beat scene and culture? Um, oh yeah, like um, they, like with the dubstep thing, you know, we really got a kind of um, another like community. It was almost like that the, those hip hop days, but um, you know, like a, a new kind of like lease of it. You know, it was like a new generation that we were doing stuff with. Um, you know, it kind of did feel like that whole hip hop thing was kind of like, you know behind us and and just kind of like onto something new so um so we were like you know like hanging out with like sort of different um producers and djs and playing at neuropol so neuropol was like the night that we were all sort of like you know playing out every week and stuff so where everyone's like had new music everyone's like producing music themselves as well so like you know little Sai would play a set and he'd just have all these tunes that he'd made and uh you know rob would play and have all his tunes and i'd have all my new tunes so it's like a real you know that kind of like mixing pot of like all our styles and everyone had their own sound 
and uh, you know Jamal uh, from Dark House Family, you know he was like really into making all this kind of like weird hip hop and stuff. Even though he'd be making like jungle and stuff before, you know I think Jamal and my mate Reese, who is um, Kid Robot, was like his uh, name at the time. Um, you know they were putting me onto like um, Flying Lotus and all, all that kind of LA. Mm you know, Sam I am and all that kind of stuff. So uh, there was all that stuff like kind of inspiring me and inspiring everyone. And, you know, I, I was like, I would like play all that kind of stuff in my dubstep sets as well. So it was just kind of like, you know, anything would go for me. You know, if I liked it, I'd just play it. This is Daedalus. I'm from Los Angeles, California. I want to speak to you a bit about the beats and the uh, instrumentals and the music. Um, I I uh, I think when I first came came over, it was for Bach and uh, small room, and I didn't know what to expect. A lot of indie rock and otherwise had been sold to me from that that scene, and I super furry animals and otherwise had been really kind um, encountering some of that sound and some of those members, but I didn't understand that there was so much of the beats happening. There was so much awareness of Madlib and others of my contemporaries, Flying Lotus, that I had worked with and, and enjoyed, and that even that some of my sounds would have resonated so far. And I think at first it was Dark House Family, I'm pretty sure. They were the most on the wavelength. Um, even some of the music had been played, not just in London, but all the way on our shores, been sent over. Um, DJs were always on the hunt for the new hot thing. It was always, intrinsic to the genre to to want that next thing to kind of blow your wig and uh, dark house had had some tracks like that so there was some vague awareness but then to meet the crew in their city was so transformative and i believe we even sessioned up for a second i believe i even got a chance to sit in the lab and hear some some of the raw um right off the off the tapes so to speak and um they'd start to talk up more depth of the scene, right? It wasn't just about them and and those kind of like the warm boom bap kind of sounds. There was also this like futuristic, really pushing kind of things that were happening. And really quickly enough, that was that was indeed Monkey and Staga. Staga was, was a gem of it though. It was like the kind of thing that I brought back to LA, like plunder, like those sounds, especially there was this period in like the mid aughts where or the late aughts, I guess. But those beats I could play on a big system at like low end theory, and people would to a T come up and be like, What is this? I need this. And I would point them in the direction of this very mild mannered producer who was wrapped in mystery because it was so far away. And it was a, a MySpace era, it was the SoundCloud era, the early parts of the SoundCloud era. And you know, you could do with a single few tracks, you could really have an outsized shadow cast. And uh, some of that sound, that thing that was a precursor to modern dubstep, so it had an aggression to it, but it also had a lot of slyness to it. It kind of like slithered around. And that was Staga's specialty, and Monkey as well, but like, and it was it was hard to kind of separate all the things, right? Like everything kind of comes out in a tumble because that's what it, it sits in my memory space. But still to this day, I'll, I'll rinse out like Time Warp, Staga track, and every single time maybe it's because jungle's getting a second look and people are thinking rhythm not just dubstep and the kind of you know the color based sound and, and it's just stagger was on all of that staggers did that 
well before it, it kind of went much less overground, even underground. You know, we're left with a big hole in his lack. I know there was more there. Uh, listening back to some of the demos that I'd received, um, some of those brief encounters I had had, uh, just kind of eating ridiculous food and talking ridiculous music. It, it feels of a bygone era and I miss it deeply, but I can sit with the music and be right back, right back there. And I'm grateful for that. When you look at your contributions so far, what strikes you the most? I think because people tell me um, just the influence that um, myself and Rob had on people in like workshops and not even workshops, but just like, um, yeah, just like doing like CMW stuff and, and getting involved with the younger community. I know it's kind of like a, kind of cliche in that it's kind of you know teaching the kids and stuff like that but it's definitely that you know you know like sometimes like you know like um you know i don't know how true this is because it's probably not that true but like you know in actual fact but um you know sometimes like uh for instance ransom another dj from cardiff was saying the other day that you know if we weren't for me and rob he wouldn't be djing which I was just like mm. really sort of taken back by that. And, uh, and you know, I was just like, yeah, of course you would be DJing, you know, it's like, like in you, you know, you would have been doing it anyway. But, um, but it's good to know that, you know, we played a part in, um, you know, just kind of inspiring people and giving people confidence to do something, you know. <laughs>